Hey, good morning, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving to all, as Lauren had mentioned. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to read a couple of verses about Thanksgiving. They won't be on the screen. I just, um, you don't have to rush through. Um, I just want us to take a moment um, just to look at a few verses about Thanksgiving, so Let's do that. First Corinthians, excuse me, First Chronicles 16.34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Colossians 4.2, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. First Corinthians 1.4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 and 5, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are thankful. And not just because it's the Thanksgiving season, but we are reminded because it is the Thanksgiving season to give thanks in all situations and circumstances, Lord. Lord, there's many that are part of this body who are ill, who are sick, who are going through surgery or post-recovery, or soon will be going into surgery. There are loved ones um, all around who just need your touch. But Lord, we are reminded to be thankful in all, all circumstances and all situations, Lord. Lord, mostly we are thankful for your son that died on the cross for our sins, Lord. We are thankful for that gift of salvation. We are thankful for your spirit that lives in us. And we're just thankful that you created us to be like you and to be holy as you call call us to be holy as you are holy, Lord. But yet all of this is possible because of your work. So Lord, we just want to stop and acknowledge who you are and just be thankful. We just want to rest on that. So Lord, as we continue to worship you this morning, we pray for the other churches that worship you. We pray for our community, for our country, for the world, Lord. We pray that the gospel will spread like wildfire for a revival. We thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, we're still in our series, Encounters with Jesus. Uh, this morning we, were, we are going to read Luke 17, 11 through 19. I invite you to stand if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 17. Verses 11 through 19. And it reads, <clears throat> As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. 
one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. A brief prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit again. Holy Spirit, thank you for illuminating the scripture to us, Lord. We thank you that we were able to worship you through song and worship and uh, of musical instruments and fellowship. And now we pray that uh, we worship you and learn from you through your word. We just thank you so much for this opportunity. Lord, we just pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, you don't. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So I know typically whenever I say, don't do something, immediately you want to do it, right? When you're driving down the street, you're driving down the road, and then you tell your kids, don't look at that accident, what do they do? Look at the accident or whatever it is. Or you say, hey, don't go into the closet and look at Christmas presents, and what do you do? You go and try to look at the Christmas presents. Perhaps you're better behaved than I was as a kid. But considering this, I just want to warn you up front, do not Google leprosy. Just don't do it. And don't click on the little images. Just don't do it. Put your phones away now. <laughs> just don't, don't do it. Uh, it's been an interesting week preparing uh, for this, this series, this encounter with Jesus. And as you know, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, eight weeks now, we've been doing this series called Encounters with Jesus. And in, in the back of your chairs, there's, I'm going to bring it up again. And if you're new, this is the first time you're hearing it. There's these cards and it says, my encounter with Jesus. And you can go online to renewmodesto.com and you can look up the little link there, and really it's to write down your encounter with Jesus. And this week, um, my encounter with Jesus, although I'm not going to share the encounter at the end, that, that will be, uh, Miss Becky Austin is going to do that for us, but um, just considering looking through leprosy and trying to understand it on a way that I had never really appreciated before, and whenever I say don't Google the images, I really mean it. Um, prepare thyself. But, um, but just considering this as we've been looking at a lot of different people, a lot of different encounters biblically that, people, that Jesus, people had with Jesus, either individually or as groups of people. And this one, it's pretty easy to account for who had the encounter. There are uh, 10 people, 10 people who have leprosy, and they have an encounter with Jesus. They have an encounter with him. But what we don't read, and I like to jump forward a little bit, is the encounter that people would have who've been healed. And in a, moment, a few moments ago, we were praying for people, and just generally, but you know some of them who are sick and not doing well. And then, Lord willing, if God heals them, then we'll see a healed person. And that encounter will then encourage us. I don't know about you, but... As much as I pray for myself and for my family and for all of you, I get extra excited when my prayer is answered one way or another. 
And not only for me, I get to see what God has done in your life, but also how it continues to give God glory to other people. I remember uh, as a, when I first started out in full-time ministry, there was a young man who um, had been saved from ailment, from car accidents. I went through the list, and, I, and if I remember correctly, five different times that he should have been dead. And, all, and he was only 21 at the time. That's a lot. And he would share that uh, he was born uh, with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He was born not breathing. He was resuscitated. He ended up having complications uh, there throughout his life, had multiple surgeries. When he learned to drive at 16, he got in a car accident, thrown from the windshield, on and on and on and on. And all of the times, repeatedly, he would share that God had healed him and saved him for something. And that's how he knew he had a relationship with God. And as I was considering this and I was just looking at different healings, uh, I noticed that John Piper shared a similar story. For those of you who know John Piper, shared a story with someone in his congregation. I was like, did this guy go to the same church? Well, no, he went to John Piper's church. But this guy, but what I, what I realized is a couple years into getting to know this guy, he finally came to the understanding that God did save him, protect him, revived him, whatever words you want, from all of these various accidents, but he had never accepted Christ as his Savior until much later. This guy had the assumption that because, as he called it, he had nine lives plus five over, that God protected him, that clearly he had a relationship with Christ. And it wasn't until later on he surrendered his life to Christ that he would come around and say, all of these healings, all of these miraculous things were only pointing me to Christ. They weren't Christ himself. They were Christ in the flesh. They were, he saved me, but yet he needed to save my soul. And really, when we read this story of the, these men with the leprosy, we see one man return. And I don't want to jump ahead, but just considering that the healing, and I know I've mentioned this before, that the miracles that we see Jesus perform here in the Bible is really him returning someone or something back to the way that God originally designed it to be before sin. And if you consider that, that's what the miracle is. All of the miracles Jesus performed is pointing to himself, to salvation. So with that in mind, as we consider this story and these encounters over the next couple of weeks leading into the new year, up into the new year, just continue to think about your encounters with Jesus. For those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's almost as a reminder of the goodness of God, your encounter. For those of you who have not accepted Jesus, and, and they're pointing you to him. And that's and what I really appreciate about this story, it's, it's only a couple of verses, but it gets right to the heart. So as we consider that, and I know that, that I, I made an awful joke about not Googling leprosy, but I do want to talk about it just so that way um, we can appreciate what's going on here. Leprosy is a bacterial um, disease, and, and what it does is it first attacks the nerves. And then from there it starts to appear on the skin. But once it starts to appear on the skin, at this time, it was almost too late. So for example, if, if someone who had leprosy, they wouldn't know it, they would reach their hand into the fire to pull something out and they would not feel the flame. 
And eventually, the deterioration would take place. And when you think of leprosy and and the grotesque disease with the different body parts falling off, losing fingers and eyelashes and noses and etc., that's really called Hansen's disease, which was later on uh, discovered. But at this time, during the biblical time, leprosy was almost 99% of the time a dead man walking. If you had leprosy, more than likely you were going to die. Now, the thing, though, is any kind of skin ailment, so if you happened to cut your arm and it had an infection, that was leprous. They did not delineate between the two. And just to go a little bit further, again, if you ever go on Jeopardy, there were two main uh, colonies uh, in the United States up until the 40s, one in Hawaii and one in Louisiana. And that's where, if you had the disease of leprosy, you would be sent because it was a contagion. So staying six feet apart happened way long before COVID. But yet worldwide right now, I read that there are 15 million people who suffer from leprosy. Even though in the 1940s, there was a cure. The reason why is because in in third world countries, they are still treating people with this disease almost as if there's something wrong with their soul. You have to separate them and push them outside of society. So really, when you read through the Bible and you come across anyone with leprosy, and there's a handful of stories in it, essentially what God is using as leprosy is to point to death of sin. So one more thing, just because I found it so fascinating when we were driving back from our Thanksgiving, I had to stop everyone who was talking in the car to tell them that armadillos are the only other creature that can have this bacteria. I don't know why that was so fascinating to me, but you're welcome. So just a, just a bit more. They, they've traced back even when they uncovered, they being archaeologists, uncover mummies, uh, they still have the bacteria. So this disease, this bacteria has been around. But when we read through this in the Bible, leprosy really represents sin, dead man walking. And that's what we are until we come to Christ. So leprosy in the Bible, again, covers many skin issues. So as we pick up from the story from Luke, I know we jumped right in the middle at verse 11, but as he continues, verse 11 says, as Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. So stop right there. Right here on the border, there are two feuding nations, if you will, the Samaritans and the Jews. And if you were with us when we went through our series of Ezra and Nehemiah, you may recall that as the Jewish people were leaving exile from the Babylonian uh, empire and they were coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild, the Jewish people that were already there were Samaritans because by this time the Jewish people had had uh, adopted all of the different things that were going on, married other non-Jewish people, and they were called Samaritans, which can be called translated to half-breeds or partial breeds, or you get the point. So they were always fighting. The Samaritans would argue that we were always here. We never left Jerusalem. You Jewish people left. The Jewish people said, well, even though we were in captivity, you guys became pagan and married pagan people. They've been separated now by race, by by religious belief, even today, now there are something like 10,000 Samaritans still practicing uh, their rituals, which 
to the naked eye almost seems Jewish. But what I found interesting, and even in my own experience in some respects, that people who would normally not get along or have anything to do with one another, regardless of the reason, find common ground in affliction. So regardless of the reason if you should or shouldn't like someone, you will find that there's common ground of affliction. I'll give you a couple of instances. People who are in the middle of cancer treatment seem to find common ground. I I know that it was true at least when my grandmother had cancer and when she was going through treatment, she met wonderful, wonderful people who she would have never met, never ran in the same circles. Not that she had anything against them, but it brought them together because of the common goal of beating cancer. Another one, if people who are dealing with parents with Alzheimer's disease tend to come together simply because of the similarity of the affliction. And the list goes on and on. What's interesting is Jesus is very intentional of where he's going. He's going in between this town, this border between Galilee and Samaria. And we're seeing here that there is a colony of people who have leprosy. The people who suffered with leprosy found community amongst themselves. Even I mentioned that the two colonies in the United States in the 1800s and early 1900s, one in Hawaii and one in Louisiana, there are still people who are children of parents who have leprosy who are still in that community because that's all that they know. They only know each other. One commentary wrote, Prejudice or distance between people tend to be less of a priority when you have nothing but each other. He'd go on to say, Barclay would go on to say, bonded by their misery, their national and other prejudice vanish as they come together in a prayer. A common misfortune had broken down the racial and national barriers in the common tragedy of their leprosy. They had forgotten they were Jews and some and Samaritans and remembered only they were men in need. So this is what's happening. So Jesus is walking by, and verse 12, or verse 13, it picks up, or excuse me, verse 12 picks up, and as he entered a village, there, 10 men with leprosy stood a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they were at a distance. According to the Jewish tradition, they had to stay outside of the city. They had to stay uh, at least 50 meters away. They would have to be downwind because people were scared that if the wind blew on them, a piece of something would come and get them. So they were this common, the commonality they had between them was leprosy and they stood from a distance, but they recognized Jesus. But I just want to take a moment. It'll be on the screen or you can turn to Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46. And it says, and this, is, and this is the rules, Leviticus spends two whole chapters talking about leprosy. This is how dangerous and scary it was. Verse 45, it says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. Got that? So if you have leprosy, rule number one, you must tear your clothing and leave your hair uncombed. Why? So that way you look miserable. Actually, in Uh, the Jewish tradition to tear your clothes was a sign of mourning. Anytime that you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll see, and they tore their clothes and they threw ashes on their head. It's a sign of mourning. But to have uncombed hair would mean 
Essentially, they had planned never to be recovered from their leprosy. Let's continue on. They say, they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. Now imagine this for a moment. Leprosy was treated like a sin. Now imagine right now if I ask all of you to write down your last sin on a piece of cardboard and just walk around with it this morning. How about we do that next Sunday? That'd be great. Some need larger cardboards than others, right? Unclean, unclean. So they would have to shout. It was regulated. They would have to shout out. If they did not, two things would happen. They would get a warning. Along with that warning, they would be sent further out. And second, eventually, they could be put to death for breaking it. So, so, so first of all, they had to rip their clothes. They had to not comb their hair. They had to call out, unclean, unclean. Verse 46, as long as they, the serious disease lasts, they were ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside of camp. Now, I spared you reading Leviticus 12 and the first half of 13, but essentially the priest, if someone was accused of having leprosy, that's all he had to do. I saw so-and-so, and he looked like he had a spot on his head. <gasps> He's unclean. The priest would have to go out and do a medical examination. It walks through if it looks this color, if the hair is this. It, it's, it's almost as bad as Googling leprosy, okay? So they would have to go, and then the priest would say, you are certified unclean, you must leave the village. We want nothing to do with you. Now, just take, hold on to that for just a moment. We want nothing to do with you. And for now on, when you see anybody, you must yell out, you are unclean. Now just, I can't imagine being separated and isolated, even from your faith family, even from your own family, you are completely removed. I was reading some of the people who, in the early 1900s, who had this awful disease before the cure came, would talk about, every once in a while, we would get a gift package from a family member, not signed, just gifts. And they would go on to say, it was essentially, we're thinking of you, but we want nothing to do with you. It's heartbreaking. So they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean. So now, as they, we pick up back in Luke 17, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The first question that I had when I was reading this is, how did they know he was Jesus? How would they know? If they weren't able to come into contact with anyone, how did they recognize Jesus? Well, word gets around. And they probably heard, and they probably recognized, but more than that, Jesus calls us unto himself, and that's what he's doing here. So they're used to crying out, unclean, unclean, and now they're saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, he looked at them and said, go, show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Do you see that? Go and show yourselves to the priests, and as they went... They were cleansed of their leprosy. So far, whenever we've walked through these encounters with Jesus, when Jesus healed someone, it was either instantaneously, and then he would say, and go show, or now go do. 
But here, if you notice, he doesn't heal them just yet. What he says is, go show yourself to the priest. So imagine now that, that you're someone with leprosy and you're calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They don't ask for a healing. They simply ask for a mercy. They're asking, give us something that we don't deserve and don't give us what we deserve. They're just crying out to him. And he says, go and show yourself to the priest. What is remarkable is that Jesus asked them to go to the priest while they were still lepers. This is truly a step, stepping out on faith as putting on the new man, if you will, new woman. Even when we still don't look or feel like, when we still look and feel like the old man. All I have to say is, imagine that this person was leprosy. Their skin is totally eaten up. They may have been missing a nose and some fingers. And they're crying out as best as they can, heal us. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. You, do you see me, Jesus? Like, I'm gross. But go. And then, they, and then, at least for me, I always picture most everything in my head as a cartoon, forgive me. But they go and they take a step out and then all of a sudden the magical transformation of the worldly magic or whatever happens, and then they are healed. It is remarkable that Jesus asked them to go before he actually heals them. It's, it's the same thing about as Jesus is calling us unto himself, come to me. Even whenever he calls us to do something, have you ever been called to do something by Christ and you felt inadequate, unprepared, not worthy, and the list goes on and on and on and on? And then you kind of try to make an excuse of why you shouldn't do what you feel that you're called to do, and yet that one little step of faith but also what I've noticed, even when I'm taking my step of faith, I try to look for an escape route. All right, Jesus, I'm going to go. But as soon as it gets tough, that is obviously a sign you want me to go back. Am I the only one who does that? All right, God, I'm yours no matter what, except for this and that, and maybe that, and maybe in a week. Get back to me then, Jesus. Or the whole time you're looking for an excuse that it's not going to work. That same commentary that I read, Barclay said, the one condition of healing was obedience. Ordered, they must obey. If he was master as they had cried he was, then let them prove their faith by their obedience. Notice that, verse 13. Jesus' master, they identified, they knew who Jesus was. And essentially, Jesus saying, you've called me master, and it is so. Oh, now we're quoting from whenever he talks to the blind man. Now go, I want you to believe that I can heal you the way I want to. One of the hang-ups, I think, that we can have as followers of Christ is to assume that Christ is going to do what he did yesterday, exactly the same way. Now true, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow forevermore, yet sometimes we expect, all right, Jesus... Last time I prayed, it took seven prayers, three days, and two hours. Why is it going on years now? But yet Jesus is showing that he doesn't need a magic formula. He doesn't need a special way in order to do it. He doesn't need a spit in the mud. He can because he is Lord. So he says, go and show yourself to the priests. 
And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, real quick, we are going to go back to Leviticus 14, 1 through 7. I, I want to connect this. Why, why would Jesus say, go show yourself to the priests? Why didn't he just say, go, go away, you're healed? Why go to the priest? Why was it so important to go to the priest? You remember earlier, if someone was accused of or did have leprosy, the priest would go out, outside of the village, examine them, and then say, yep, you're leprous, get out of here. But in order to return back to society, this is what they must do. So let's read Leviticus 14, 1 through 7. You never thought you would read Leviticus so much in your life. And it reads, And the Lord said to Moses, The following instructions are for those seeking ceremonial purification from a skin disease, leprosy. Those who have been healed must be brought to the priest. Got that? Those who must be healed must be brought to the priest who will examine them at a place outside of the camp. So if the priest finds that someone has been healed of a serious skin disease, he will perform a purification ceremony. Let's stop right there. So the priest kicks him out. And remember, there's a wide variety of different skin diseases. If someone does not have the true form of leprosy, but just an abrasion or some skin, and they see that they're better, they have to keep their distance and yell out, go get the priest. Go get the priest. Then they would run to the priest and say, someone says they're healed. Then there's an appointed place. And now the priest will examine to make sure that they've been healed. You notice the priest isn't the one that heals. He is the one that puts on the purification ceremony. So let's pick up at verse 4. He will perform a purification ceremony using two live birds that are ceremonially clean, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. And then they'll make their special stew. No, but I mean, if you read through this, this is ridiculous. Go get me some yarn, two birds, and your brother's tape. Like, that's what it sounds like to me when I first read this. The priest will order that one bird be slaughtered over a clay pot filled with fresh water. He will take the live bird, the cedar stick, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop branch and dip them into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. The priest then will sprinkle the blood of the dead bird seven times on the person being purified of the skin disease. When the priest has purified the person, he will release the live bird in the open field to fly away. Now, for us, in our Western eyes, we think, what? At least that's how I read it. But actually, if you remember when Jesus came and he's, and he's always been poked at and prodded by the Pharisees, one of the things that he mentions is he is not here to destroy the law but to fulfill the law. Leviticus is basically just the law and how to live it out. So what the Leviticus law is telling to do, this is what you must do. You must call out and come and see. But let's just, let's just go a little bit slower in what he's actually doing. You must take a stick and some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. 
I have a photo of a hyssop branch, just in case you didn't know what it looked like, because I had no idea what it looked like, and that's it. You may think that's lavender, but it's not, because at first I thought, oh, I Googled the wrong photo. But <clears throat> purple. But now, 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 let's, now let's look at this. So we're taking a stick. We'll call that the wooden cross now. Scarlet yarn. Throughout the Bible, there's the scarlet yarn or scarlet thread or red thread throughout the Bible. We'll see it with Rahab. We'll see it in Numbers. We'll see it in other places. And then you take this branch, purple. Purple represents royalty. Then the priest will order one bird to be slaughtered over a clay pot. The reason why it couldn't be done on the ground is that they wanted pure blood. And a pot that had been refined by fire will not mix with the dirt. And with fresh water. Fresh water, you couldn't pull up the water from a well. You had to go to the river that was a living water. Who else is called the living water? Jesus. See? So what, what they're actually doing, what God, what verse 14, Lord told Moses, is he's pointing to Jesus the entire time in the law. So what must they do? They dip them into the blood. They kill one bird. Excuse me, verse 6, he will take the live bird, the cedar stick, the cross, the red yarn represents the death, the hyssop branch, and dip it into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh one. So you, you get this picture, you take the dead, you take the one bird, you pour the blood into the bowl, you take the live bird, you tie it down with the red cord on this branch that's purple, you put it in this pot, and then you go like this seven times. Seven representing a perfect number. Jesus Christ is our perfect sacrifice. And again, this is not to cure the disease, but this is the purification of the disease. Then, the last thing it says, when the priest has purified the person, he will release the live bird in the open field to fly away. Why? Someone will see that bird, full of blood, but yet flying, will know, hey, that bird represents someone has made clean. Someone has made, been peered. So I, whenever we read in Isaiah, by his stripes, we will be healed. See, this trio of the cedar stick, the yarn, and the branch is very noteworthy in sacrifices. You'll see it again in Numbers 19, while the heifer, the cow, was being burned to ash outside of the temple. The same a branch was thrown in there, and the piece of the hyssop were tied together on the scarlet, the wool, burning the cow. The entire sacrifice was reduced. So just a couple of notes just to piece this together of what happened to Christ. This happened... Outside a camp. Remember, he had to call out, I'm unclean, and now go get the priest. Outside a camp, away from the normal conduct of the system of sacrifice. A living thing from heaven was sacrificed in an earthly vessel. Even as the bird was killed, it was cleansed by the running water. His death, associated with water and blood, was applied to this leper and applied perfectly seven times in connection with the living bird. The sacrificial blood was also applied to the scarlet yarn and a piece of wood together with a hyssop. Bearing the mark of sacrifice, the living bird would fly away, ascending into heaven and out of sight until being seen again. And in the same way, in a remarkable way, this unusual ritual points to the future work of the Messiah who would cleanse those stained 
with the leprosy of sin. Jesus was sacrificed outside of the camp, Hebrews 13. Jesus was the man from heaven, John 3. Jesus remained cleansed and holy, Acts 2, even in his death becoming sin, 2 Corinthians 5, without becoming a sinner. Jesus came by water and blood, 1 John 5, and died associated with blood and water, John 19. Jesus died in association with the scarlet cloth. You remember they put a scarlet robe on him? Jesus died in association with wood, went on the cross, John 19. Jesus died in association with the hyssop. Remember they tried to put the wine on it and put it to his lips? Jesus lived bearing the marks of his death. Remember whenever he came back and showed his disciples the living proof just like the bird? And Jesus ascended to heaven out of human sight only to be seen again. There is a sense in which this living bird is set free, points to the resurrection of Jesus, but it also points to the one healed and free from their leprosy, including the leprosy of sin. They are resurrected and free in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is so interesting is even after this ceremonial weird bird thing takes place, they still have to wait seven days just in case it comes back. Just in case, but yet with Christ... We are healed. So as we consider this, what Jesus has done is he's fulfilling this law. So when he says, go and show the priest, he's essentially saying, go show that you're completely healed. But he technically shouldn't be allowed to do this because only God can heal. Wait a minute, he is God. And only God and only the the priest can do a purification ceremony. So when he says go and show the priest, he's saying show that this has all been fulfilled. In verse 15, perhaps the famous part of this text, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Let's just consider that. So if you remember, in the Greek, it's saying when he saw he was healed, if you point back to verse 14, go show yourselves to the priests, and they went and they were clean cleansed of their leprosy. So at least the way that I picture it and understand it from the Greek, it says, Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And all 10 say, okay. And they start to leave. And then at that moment when they're leaving, the magical Cinderella music and pixie dust, whatever shows up and however they heal. Actually, I don't believe that. I just believe instantly it goes away. And they're going to the priest. And the one looks down at himself and says, I got I to gotta go thank Jesus. Now, I tend to try to make excuses for the other nine. Let me just read you some of the excuses. Well, perhaps they were just doing what Jesus had said. Go to the priest. Or perhaps they wanted to go to the priest, then go show their family. Then they would be thankful. Now, and I only write this down, and I wrote a couple of notes just about, well, there's other things to do. I'll, I'll thank him later. And, and really the whole point was, have you ever been 
have you ever intended to say thank you or write a note or send that text message or the email or the old-fashioned snail mail, and you say, I'll get to it later? And then all of a sudden, when that person that you wanted to thank does something again for you, and you go back and think, well, I can't send this old thank you letter. That would be weird. Actually, this week, we got a thank you letter from our nieces and nephew for something that we did like a year and a half ago. And my first reaction was, this is late. (laughs) But it was sweet because they remembered. And you know, I'm so pathetic. You probably already know this by now. I looked and I thought, maybe it got lost in the mail. And and I looked at the stamp date from the post office to see if it was lost. No, they just sent it this week. But you know, for me, sometimes when I mean to say thank you and I feel like it's too late, I'm too prideful to say, I meant to say thank you. I know it's really late. So in my head, I just work out, I'll say thank you later. Even this morning, being prepared for thankfulness, this is more than a thankfulness message. This is more than a thankfulness uh, passage. This is salvation here. But even this morning, last night when I was getting ready to go to bed, I was thinking the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up is I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, for waking me up. If you do wake me up, what happens if you don't wake me up? Who's going to preach? Like how, I mean, like that's where my mind went, right over there. So the first thing I did in the morning when I woke up, I thought, no way, I was just talking to you, God. Time for coffee. Then I sit down and I think, oh, thank you, by the way. I know that I promised to say thank you. I'm like 20 minutes late. Do you see how pathetic we can be? It's this thankfulness. But what I appreciate about this one, all this to say is immediately, he says, I have to go praise God, which is interesting. Let's look back at verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This was a Samaritan Or in some translation, this was a foreigner. Some translation, this is a stranger. Or it's flopped with verse 18. But when Jesus says, go to the priest, actually this man goes to the high priest, Jesus Christ. Because remember, he was calling out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He was one of the ones yelling. Jesus, and now he comes and praises God. But let's just look at these three crying outs here real quick. The first one, according to the Leviticus law, we read earlier, Leviticus 13, it says they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. And then in verse 13 of Luke 17, they're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And thirdly, he yells out, praise God. And I do see that that is the order in which we live our lives, isn't it? When we come to Christ, we recognize that we are a sinner saved by grace and grace alone. And we call out, I am unclean and I am unworthy, but yet, Jesus, you have healed me. And then as we are walking along in our, in our faith journey, then when we sin and we make mistakes, don't we cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us? But then third and finally, sometimes, just as I mentioned, sometimes we forget and praise God. And we fall at, to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he has done. And this man was a Samaritan. And you remember earlier, this was right there on the border. And I'm assuming, and I'm assuming because the other commentators are assuming, the other nine were probably Jewish people. 
but the one was the Samaritan, the one that was already considered unclean well before he had leprosy, according to the Jewish tradition. And then what does Jesus say? In verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Notice he doesn't say, no one returned to give glory to me. When Jesus is here on the earth, he's always pointing to God the Father. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Jesus healed all 10 of their physical ailment, but this man came and fell at Jesus' feet and recognized that he is Messiah. A lot of times it takes an outsider to recognize something good. And this is crude, maybe crude, and I don't mean it to be, but um, sometimes I appreciate my family more when someone else appreciates them. I'm just so used to them. Sometimes I appreciate my wife more when someone says, hey, she's pretty. Hold on, bro. (laughs) Sometimes I appreciate my children more when someone says, hey, they've done a good job or they did this. And I'm like, yeah, they're not so bad after all. Sometimes I appreciate uh, being a follower of Christ when someone says, hey, there's something different about you. You know what? It's actually Christ. So it takes an outside perspective sometimes to bring us back to where we belong. And that's really what happens here. This man was a Samaritan, an outsider, already cast out regardless. He found a community amongst the people with leprosy, but now he's found the kingdom of God because Christ called him onto himself. He was finally forgiven and not just healed, just like I mentioned earlier about that young man earlier on in ministry who had been saved several times from drastic accidents, diseases, and near death, not until he came to a saving relationship with Christ. Because the moral of the story is all 10 of these men with leprosy eventually died a physical death. Even when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he died again, a physical death. So as much as we pray for healing, and I, and I do, when you, when you ask, and, and elders and leaders and everyone here, when there's a prayer request, we pray. But ultimately, one of the things that I've come to accustomed to pray for is in your affliction that your faith may grow. Secondly, that indeed, whatever it is, your prayer request, that God would answer that if he wills it. But thirdly, that, that in your faith, that you're growing, that you come to a saving relationship with Christ. And if you already have one, praise the Lord. Because sometimes he decides to heal our physical by taking us home sooner than we want. So if we remember this man who started off unclean, unclean, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, to have mercy on me, Lord, to praise God, you have saved me. So as we just consider that, verse 19 again, it says, and Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has been healed. And if you want to connect it back, which there is a connection back to Leviticus 14 when he lets the bird go with the blood, they see, hey, 
Someone has been cleansed. So now this man, hey, this man has been cleansed. Praise the Lord. So at this time, I would like to invite Becky up to come and share her encounter with Jesus. Can we welcome her, please? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm Becky Austin and my husband, Gary. We started coming to Renew about August. And um, I was super excited to hear about the encounters with Jesus because I think a lot of times we think an encounter with Jesus has to be this huge moment in our life. And for me, it's been more of a steady drip that changes my life. My mom is a plant woman, and she always tells me, Becky, plants grow best whenever you slowly water them rather than sticking them under the faucet like I do because they're dead, right? You turn the water on, the dirt goes everywhere and exposes the roots. So thinking about these encounters with Jesus and then being encouraged to write them down and to share them, I think many times we're hesitant because we don't want to get up in front of people or we don't want to be vulnerable. Um, so this is pretty vulnerable. <laughs> and um, in August, we also decided to sell our home of 20 years. And I am a pretty capable person, as I'm sure many of you are. And I'm super excited to help everyone else. But I don't really like to ask for help myself. But I felt like God was saying, you know what, this is an opportunity for you to invite those that you've helped to come help you. I thought, great, this sounds like a good idea. So I thought the best way to do this is rather than saying, hey, you want to come help me pack up my house, let's have it a party. Because if you have a party, many more people will want to come, right? No, <laughs> that's not what happened. I sent out a text to many friends and said, hey, you want to come help with our packing party? And over the week, they kept trickling in, no, 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 no. And I was just like, I was mad at God. I really was. I was like, I was vulnerable. I reached out, and I said, hey, I need some help, and no one was taking, us up, taking me up on this offer. But the person who came was my friend who was walking through a divorce or is walking through a divorce. And we had five hours to talk and to share and to just really hear what God was doing in her life. And it was like God was like, Becky, see, had you had your party this wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had this opportunity to, to be encouraged, but also to encourage someone else. A friend who was sick, her husband owns a part packing place. And so they, she says, we're super sick. So, but I have all of these boxes that we're willing to donate to you. Well, those boxes are super heavy. They're great for moving. You can pack them like super full. And so that was awesome. Another friend came and said, you know what, we can't help, but I want to bring a meal this night. And whenever you're moving, you don't want to pack up your refrigerator with groceries, right? So they provided um, a meal one night. Another person called and said, I can't help, but I'd love to bring a meal whenever you move for lunch for everyone who has helped you move. And I'm like, this is amazing. Fast forward a month later, the day that we actually moved, we had to turn people away because it was we were downsizing and there wasn't much to move at that point. And it was like God was telling me, see, Becky, I have you. And what he's been working on in me for the past five years is really to be present with those people who are in my vicinity and really working on my expectations. Expectations are the death of me. I always want to fast forward and think about how it should be. And that's what usually ends up making me disappointed in what God has provided. And so he's really working on me to be very present and to not, um, or to really work on my expectation. I really try and not have them, and I always find that I trip over them because they're there. 
And I just then fast forward to just this last weekend, we were away, and the gal who comes and watches our dog said, oh, my word, Becky, we move the same time, and your house is put together. And God was saying, see, even in that, I have you. I am providing for you. Each step of the way, he was showing me that I didn't have to worry about what my expectations were or how it was all going to work out because he had it um, in, in control. And I wrote this, and it was posted on the website a while ago, and then Dallas sent me this email, and I thought, oh, that's an old one. And yet, it was a good reminder this week as we start to Thanksgiving and to the holidays. I don't know about you, but I have expectations of what those are going to look like, how family members will or won't behave, if they will or won't show up. And so it's really a good reminder for me to be reminded that as I head into these holidays, to just accept those that are present, to not have expectation, and to see how God will um, present himself in those moments rather than me having an expectation of what they're going to look like. So, thank you. Thank you, Becky. So this morning we are going to receive communion, and uh, you are welcome to join us for communion if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But as, as you prepare to receive communion, um, just consider the three steps this man, the one man who came back to Christ. First he was yelling out, unclean, unclean. So consider and ask, is there anything in your life that you need to ask for forgiveness that you need to repent. Or the next one, whenever he cries out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Is there something that you're walking through that you haven't given over to the Lord? And then finally, praise God. Is there something that you should be praising the Lord for? At the beginning of the service, we read a lot of Scripture, a few scriptures about praising the Lord. We should be praising the Lord in all situations and in all seasons. So I don't know where you're at, but as you prepare your hearts, as the worship team leads us in a few more songs, just see if you are somewhere where you need to confess sin, cry out to have mercy, something that you've been trying on your own, or something to praise God for. It's so important that we praise God for the answer prayers of yesterday. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together, and thank you for Becky that she was willing to share her encounter with you. Thank you for that sweet encounter, um, managing expectations, and, and the way that you've, uh, you do that in so many ways in all of our lives, and that we were reminded by that. Thank you for your word that reminds us of the one man who came back to you to give thanks, that did not just recognize you as master or as Lord or as healer, but recognized you as savior. And that's really what we're here to be reminded of that. Even if this is our 10 millionth time of being reminded that or perhaps the first few. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, speak to us if there's anything in our life that we need to repent of, to, to confess, to ask for forgiveness, there's anything that we need to cry out in mercy, something that we've been trying to carry on our own, that we need your direction. And Lord, if there's any of us that just needs to come and praise you, 
for who you are, which is all of us. So Lord, as we sing unto you, we just pray that you take it and bless it and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.